0: One reason we've been doing this series on unbelievers, so this is going to take us through Pentecost Sunday, which will be June 5th. We keep saying that that will be our next combined service. You don't want to miss those combined services. There are a party at the tab for sure. Um, but uh, we, after that, we will do a series on Ezra and Nehemiah for the summer. There will be a bunch of people uh, preaching for that series um, but one reason we wanted to do this series on unbelievers was because, um, especially this campus, we are putting some things on the calendar um, to really help us as the Franklin Avenue campus be present in the community. So a few things are going to happen. Um, I think there's four or five dates that are going to end up on the calendar very soon. Um, where after church. We'll do like an after church fellowship with food and stuff just out here on the corner. And just to be like a little more visible in the community. And then we're going to make some plans uh, to just be intentionally present in a posture of service at some things that are happening in the community. So typically during the summer, there's a couple food truck events down here on Franklin Avenue. So we're just going to plan to be there, be present. Um, I'm hoping, I haven't heard yet, but I'm hoping there'll be another Juneteenth. Has anyone heard, is the Juneteenth celebration happening this year? It is. Um, So we're going to be present at the Juneteenth celebration as well. Um, And then there's going to be a couple times, if this interests you, um, here in Aliquippa, our ministry really got started just by being present, like on a street level. And we would pray for people. (coughs) And the Gospel tab came from a tradition in revival, that had always embraced healing of the sick. So we had like the theology for it, um, but we had gone through seasons where we hadn't seen much healing at all. And one of the ways that God revived healing among us was we would go out on the street and just pray for people and we have all these stories of people experiencing healing. So um, we're gonna do some of that this summer and that might feel a little bit like a risk to you, but if it is, I encourage you to lean into it and to show up on those nights. It is my absolute favorite thing to do, to train people to do that and to take them out. So if my travel schedule allows for it, I'm, I'm planning on being here with you. But even if I can't, there'll be other people who can train you. Um, but those nights are always a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to that as well. So we're talking about um, our relationship with unbelievers because this is a huge priority for us at the Gospel Path. I think we have our values statement. Um, if you've never read our values, go to our website and read them. But our values at the Gospel Tab are our dream of what we would love for the church to be. Um, they're aspirational values. Uh, it's not everything that we are today, but it's what we hope to be, and it's where we're going. And so if you're journeying with us as, as in the Gospel Tab family... Uh, these these statements are really good statements to let you know where we're going and what's important to us. And one of those statements has to do with unbelievers. I think it's the first slide. There it is. is. Why don't we read read this together? And if you go to the website, you'll see um, that we have scripture verses connected to all of this. (coughs) It'd be good for you to look those up. But there's two slides here. Let's just read. Let's go start starting with God's posture. Would you read with me? God's posture toward our unbelieving neighbors is love and compassion. Every person has participated in rebellions against God, and our spiritual enemy has inflicted spiritual blindness on us all. His love goes first in seeking us and drawing us back to himself. Jesus' death on the cross atoned for our sins, so we can be restored to friendship with God. Jesus' priority was seeking the lost, so ours is as well. In our structures and strategies, we, without hesitation, prioritize the lost over the found, the sick over the well. We go to where they are, rather than expecting them to be attractive to us. It is so biblical, and it's in the stuff that Jesus said about himself all the time. So I know different people preached here over the last few weeks. I know Kiara preached here, some others. Um, But it's just inescapable that this is the posture of Jesus, God in the flesh. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. There's no un likeness in God, right? And so we look at Jesus, and we see what God is like and we see that God's priority is to seek and save the lost. That's why he came. Even when people criticized him for this, either out of jealousy or because he associated with people who weren't squeaky clean, um, Jesus made no apologies for the fact that he was here for the sick and not the well, that he was here for the lost and not the found. (coughs) So I'm gonna cough some during the sermon, I apologize. So it does make me wonder why, we, why it's so rare to find churches that do the same. Um, what we're saying here at the Gospel Tab is that for us, outreach and mission cannot just be like a program that we have. It's not just one of many things we do. We're saying our whole, the whole way we're structured is set up for this. And you should know that the Tab, over the years, uh, we have kind of ruthlessly taken to the chopping block things that aren't reaching people or that don't result in people being reached or don't result in equipping all of you to reach people Um, because we just think that's our purpose here. Um, That's what God has made us to be. Um, So in the last few weeks, we spent a lot of time talking about the heart of God towards unbelievers, the compassion of God towards unbelievers. And we need God... Uh, to share his compassion with us for unbelievers because none of us are compassionate of ourselves. Like, if we try to do ministry just out of our own compassion, try to care for our unbelieving friends just out of our own compassion, it will run out. Like, my compassion <laughs> reserves can easily disappear, right? Um, irritations or just tiredness or distractions or whatever. Uh, we need God to share with us his heart. As a matter of fact, I shared with the other campus. That in my years here at the TAB, every wave of harvest, so just to give you a little bit of history, like in 2019, right before the pandemic, it was really unprecedented for us at the TAB, but we had about 25 people come to faith in Christ and get baptized in water, um, all in relationship, you should say this about the TAB too, our church has almost no attractional power. Um, what I mean is we just haven't designed the tab to, to primarily attract people through marketing. Um, it's just not really how things work around here. We are a growing church, and there's new people every week. But if you pay attention to, like, who those new people are, um, they came through relationship almost every single last one of them. We get very few visitors who are showing up because they just heard about the tab or something, or they were looking for a church. Um, we would love that. There's no problem with that. But I'm just saying almost everybody comes through relationship. Um, they had a relationship with someone in the network or the tab, and they ended up coming. That's almost everyone's story. So, well, these 25 people all came to Christ through relationship. A lot of it was in the network. A lot of them, their testimonies at baptism was that. And this has always stuck with me. A lot of them, their testimonies at baptism were that, Nobody had ever told them. No one had ever, like, they didn't know. Like, guys, they grew up in Beaver County, and no one had ever shared with them the gospel. Like, the more insulated we are by church life, sometimes we don't recognize that there's so many people, guys, who really don't know. They just don't, um, unless somebody tells them, right? And so... Um, a lot of these folks, that was their testimony. Well, we were on the eve of the pandemic and all of that, but very quickly our church realized that we didn't have systems in place to disciple new believers um, to figure out how to do that. And so we spent a lot of time building the engagement pathway that we talk a lot about now, the partner class and rooted and all of these things. But but the only reason we built it <coughs> was because we're anticipating harvest. Like, If God's going to give the harvest, then we need to build the things that that can steward what he's given, right? But here's what I've noticed at the tab in our experience. Every every season of harvest that we've gone into where there's been like a wave of people who've come to faith in Christ and been baptized in water, it's almost always preceded by a season of contending prayer that is often marked by tears. And so our gatherings, kind of pre-harvest, have sometimes been characterized by this weeping for the lost. And then on the other side of that, we'll see all these people come to faith in Christ. It's like God just shares with us a piece of his heart for a season. And I really believe the compassion of God would kill us. It's so heavy if God just put it all on us. He carries it, but it is a gift that he lets us experience. and so we'll, and we've been in these seasons of weeping, individually and together, and then we'll see people come to faith in Christ. Oh, that God would share his heart with us again, right? And stir compassion in us again. And then we'd have those seasons of weeping before him again, contending for the lost, so that he brings in the harvest, right? But the way we've designed everything to the best of our ability has been for that harvest. So that's something that I'm praying into again. So we spent the last three weeks just talking about God's heart, his compassion, his posture, which is always to bless. You know, judgment is God's strange act. His disposition is to bless. And God does judge, but it's just not what comes most naturally. He judges in response. (laughs) But his disposition is to bless. Um, That's where he starts with us. It's not like we convince him out of judgment so that he acts differently than what he is. It's like, no, his disposition is blessing And so that's the posture that he takes um, towards our unbelieving friends. These next three weeks in this series are going to be a lot more practical. Um, We just want to give you some tools that you can take with you. And so today, um, and if you've been around the tab, I realize you've probably heard some of this before. I do have some new stories, I think. (coughs) But um, you may have heard this before, but repeating things is what creates culture. And so uh, we kind of unashamedly repeat um, around the tab so it goes deep into us and into our hearts. So, This, maybe I do need a mic. This is a day I actually need a mic. Thank you. Guys, I'm really not sick anymore. It's just my voice took a beating on this one. Okay, hello.
1: <laughs> right
0: now, it's much better. Now I can talk For real quiet. <laughs> like Devontae. Yeah. <laughs> Right. He's not here, can God, give me Devonte's voice. <laughs> right. Okay, um, so we just want to make it really practical for you. So today, we want to talk about um, something that has been a game changer for us in learning to relate to our unbelieving friends in our community, and it's this idea of a person of peace. Um, we get that language, person of peace, from Jesus' instruction in Matthew when he tells the disciples um, to go out, he gives them his authority to deal with sin, cast out demons, raise the dead, <clears throat> proclaim the gospel. And he sends them out, and, um, and he, he tells them to take nothing with them, which there's so much I could say about that, because it's not how we think about mission. Like we think we need all this stuff, like equipping and training and budgets and programs. Jesus is literally like, just go do it. That was his way. He's like, I gave you the kingdom of God. Go heal the sick. go do it you know, and he just sends them out, and then they come back and debrief it with him. Um, And I think that was just the rhythm he was in with his disciples. But he gave them this instruction in Matthew 10 that when they went to a new place, a new city, a new town, that they should pay attention to who invited them into their house. So he kind of tells them to anticipate that someone's going to invite them into their house and give them a place to stay, and that they should let their peace rest on that house. And that's where we give this language, person of peace, Um, But to talk about today, we're actually not going to look at Jesus' instruction in Matthew. You can do that on your own, and we've looked at it other times at the tab. Today, I want us to turn to Acts chapter 16, verses 13 and 15. We're only going to read like three verses. Um, It will be on the screen behind me as well. The Bible, for me, has really come alive, especially the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in the book of Acts, When I read it, not just as like stories that happened back then, um, but uh, clues to how God is at work in the world still today, and how we can expect to cooperate with him, and how we can work with him in the world today. And so Jesus' interactions with people, the interactions of the early church and its leaders with people is just gold in terms of learning some things about how we might expect God to be at walk in the world let me just define person of peace for you real quick because I'm going to say it a lot in this sermon. A person of peace, very simply, is somebody who is relationally open to you, uh, maybe even drawn to you. And in particular, they're open to having spiritual conversations with you. It's just, And by spiritual conversation, I don't mean deep theological things. I don't mean a sermon. I mean like you can be yourself around them and mention Jesus and they still want to be around you, right? They're not like shutting the conversation down. There's still something that's drawing them to you, even though you mentioned Jesus, and you mentioned that you prayed to him, and all that kind of stuff. So it's just someone who's relationally open to you. Maybe they're even drawn to you. Um, And uh, they're open to having spiritual conversations with you. Um, We're picking up the story of, of Acts, which is a story of the early church, But a time when Paul has entered, (coughs) excuse me, a city called Philippi, which is a Roman colony. And I'm so glad that we get a glimpse into Paul's interaction with the person of peace there and how it opened up mission in this place. So let's read the passage. Um, I'll just read it if you can follow along. It says, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city to the river. So they're in this pagan city, you know, Pagan gods are being worshipped. There's a Jewish population there, too, but largely pagan gods are being worshipped. They don't really know anybody there, but they believe that Jesus wants to do something in this place. This city is filled with unbelievers, and they're making themselves present. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman From the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. So Lydia is a business owner. Purple cloth would have been, you know, really highly prized, expensive. So she's been successful in business. But this is Paul's person of peace. Let's keep reading. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home if you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay in my house. And she persuaded us. So, just a little simple description, but so much flows out of in this interaction with Lydia. <coughs> Lydia, as well as some other leaders, end up helping Paul plant the network of churches in Philippi. And this becomes a, a, just a high point in Paul's ministry for the number of people who come to faith in Christ. Turn from pagan gods to Jesus. But it all starts with this woman named Lydia, who eventually became a leader in this church in Philippi and helped Paul plant more churches. But it all started with her, and she was a person of peace. I just want to show you just real quick, some simple things in this passage that helped me pay attention to some things in my relationships with unbelievers. It's like, okay, God let us get this window, right, into how Paul was working, how God was working through Paul with this person of peace. Um, I want to learn from that, and I want to understand how God might use me in my relationship with unbelievers. So, first of all, I just want you to notice something we've been saying throughout this series, that all true mission really does start in prayer. I think that's my first point, so we put that up. The all true mission really does start in Um, Notice that the context here is that Paul goes outside the city gate to the river where we expect him to find a place of prayer. Why do you expect to find a place of prayer? Well, in part because water for the ancient world is a place where spiritual seekers would gather to pray. Um, There was a thought that these were places that the gods and goddesses would bless and be near. And so they know that this is a place of prayer, but Paul and his companions, Luke is with him at this point. they go to this place to pray themselves. And I just want to say that like, this is the posture, friends, for all mission, is to remain prayerful ourselves. If you, if you really want God to do something in your life that has to do with the unbelievers in your life, it's like, God, I want you to use me to point them to you. I, I want you to use me in relationships with unbelievers. This is my first piece of advice. Just begin to pray for them. Just stay prayerful. I encourage you, like what three, four, five unbelieving friends are you praying for regularly right now? Um, Even if you don't know them really well. And and number one, as we're going to see in this passage, we pray because God is the only one who can really do anything anyway. Right? Like we can't save anybody. We can't heal anybody. So we need God to move. But I find that when I stay in a space of praying for my unbelieving friends, it keeps me attentive to what God is doing in their life. It means that when I'm interacting with them, I'm paying attention differently because I've been talking to God about them. So I'm noticing things that are happening in their life. I'm noticing the things they're saying. I'm noticing what God is doing. So they are in a posture of prayer as they go into this encounter. I have a friend who's a church planner uh, in a city in the Northeast. And uh, a, a while ago, he... Well, he's like a coffee connoisseur. Like He loves really good coffee. But in his community, McDonald's gets a lot more people than kind of the cool coffee shop that's like part of his neighborhood gentrifying, you know? And so he heard the Lord tell him, like, you need to start hanging out at McDonald's. You know? Um, so he started, he forgo, his, like he let go of his, like, you know, gourmet coffee. And Went to McDonald's, well, where coffee is only a dollar. I mean, you can't, you know. And so he goes, he goes, he goes to McDonald's and, um, and started to set up his computer there to work. But he said something, as he was describing this to us, that I've never forgotten. He said, I just started to tend to God's presence in that McDonald's. I love that language. Just to assume, because it's true, that God is already at work in this McDonald's. That's already doing something in the lives of the people there who go in and out, the workers who work there, the relationships that those workers have with each other. God is somehow at work in all that. And he said, I just want to go. All he was saying was, i say it another way, he said, I just want to go to McDonald's in a posture of prayer, right? Just paying attention to what God is doing in this place. And over time, he had so many stories, so I mean, crazy stories of what God was doing in this place. And it's not as if God wasn't doing that stuff before; He just showed up in a place, in a posture of prayer, um, and paying attention to what God was doing. Secondly, I love how Paul. And this sounds so obvious, but second point here. So yeah, if we can get to the next one, I love how, like, Paul just engages people where they're at. It says very simply, "He sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there." <laughs> I mean, this sounds so obvious, but maybe just another challenging question for us, like. Where are we showing up in the places where unbelievers are? This is a huge problem for Christians and churches. Do you know one reason that the vast majority of churches are so racially segregated in the United States? There's there's a historical reason, right, that has to do with all the injustice and oppression that split our church, that our church just played out. Our churches just played out the script, right, that was handed to us by oppression and injustice. But currently, today, there's still just a very sociological reason. And here's what it is, that most people who go to church, people who have studied this will say 70 to 80% of their friends are at that church. And if churches were segregated to begin with, and then 70, 80% of your friends are in that church you have a precious little opportunity to get to know someone who looks different than you, right? Or who comes from a different socioeconomic class than you, right? Or who, and so we just kind of perpetuate this kind of segregation of our churches. Well, that same truth is what affects our relationships with unbelievers. If most Christians, 70, 80% of their friendships are in the church, right? It means there's very little time left over to actually just be friends with unbelievers, And friends, I can tell you, like I've been in rooms full of pastors who I can tell, just have not helped me to critique. I can just tell they have not had a meaningful friendship. I'm talking mutuality, shared meals, hanging out, go to the movies. They have not had a meaningful friendship with an unbeliever in so long that they forget even what unbelievers are looking for. So I remember one time I was in this training and it was an awesome training. So I respect a lot talking about to this room full of pastors about how your church could kind of be reworked to reach its community and all this kind of stuff. And then, and the room was receiving enthusiasm. These pastors wanted to reach their communities. But then we opened it up for like question and answer. And just by the questions that these pastors were asking, you could tell that they just haven't been around unbelievers in a long time. Like, let me give you an example, and I'm not trying to be, like, critical. I'm off script, so hopefully what I'm saying is, okay, Lord. So, so I'm not, I'm not trying to be critical, but, like, like, for instance, like, people are like, yeah, should we hold an outreach to do, like, a movie night in our church basement? Here, here's the reality. Not many unbelievers are waking up in the morning being like, what church basement? Can I go hang out and with some hard metal chairs to watch a movie? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know who wants to do that kind of stuff? Christians, right? Because, and here's why: that like, we overlook so much because it's just like, well, these are my friends hanging out. Like, it, whatever. We don't care about the basement or the metal chairs or whatever because we're with our friends, right? Like, unbelievers go to the. Right? To see movies, or they hang out in each other's houses, right? To see movies, or they, and you can just tell by the questions, it had been a long time, right? To say, well intentioned. I'm not putting that down at all. Movie nights are great, and, and I'm sure God has used it. But I'm just saying, we forget how unbelievers even live their lives, or like what questions they're asking, or the aches of their souls, or what they're looking for, whatever. And so I just love that Paul engages. Like, he didn't have to. He makes himself present in a place where he knew unbelievers would be. Like, he knew this was a place of prayer, not just for him, but for, for this city. And, you know, people who aren't following Jesus. He goes and makes himself present there. So what, how can you make yourself present in a place where unbelievers hang out? Um, and then he engages, just figures out a, a way to say hello, really, and to become a friend, right? I think sometimes we're afraid to be friends with unbelievers, Ah, this might be too critical. I keep going off script. Sometimes, sometimes I think we're afraid to be friends with unbelievers because um, we, we want to relate to unbelievers if we're the ones in control. So if we plan the outreach and you come to my thing, that's cool. Um, if, if, if you're at my thing and I'm the one who has the answers and, I'm, and I have what you need, that feels more comfortable to us. It feels a lot more uncomfortable to actually be in friendship with someone who believes something different than you. Because let me tell you, you won't know what to say all the time. You'll get invited to things and you'll be like, am I allowed to go to that? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, that's for real happened to me. You know? Um, You'll be in uncomfortable situations. Things will get said to you and you just have no idea what to say back. But that's what it's like to be friends, right? With people that God is seeking. I think Jesus was amazing at it. I think Jesus just hung out with unbelievers all the time. <clears throat> I think he was really comfortable, right, in those spaces. And that's, we lost this art of knowing how to do it. Next, pay attention to who is being drawn to you. I, think, I find this here in verse 14. It says, one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira. So, Paul is engaging a whole group of people who are hanging out in this place. But there's one person who is listening in a different way. And and this is really where we get to start talking about a person of peace. If If you want to notice, just be attentive to, pay attention to what God is doing in someone's life. Learn to notice these very small things that give you an indication that this person is being drawn to you. Or being drawn to the things of God. I remember recently, this was in another state, but I was... Uh, in another state doing some ministry. I was hanging out with some friends on the street. And we got into a conversation about Jesus with a couple of guys. And I couldn't exactly tell, like, where they were with God and stuff. Um, But they were very, like, they were engaging us big time, like, asking questions, all this kind of stuff. And the whole time we're talking to them, I'm aware, I'm aware that in the background, there's a guy, like, hovering. You know, he's like kind of listening, but not wanting to like come in close. He's just like walking around, you know, and um, and it, and it just notice these little things, right? That people are leaning in, right? Sure enough, we were in that same spot the next day, and he approached us and he said, Hey, I heard what you guys were talking about yesterday. I said, Oh, what did you think? Like, we're talking about Jesus, you know, like, and um. And he was like, I have, like, big issues with God in the church. And I'm not sure, like, what I believe. We sat there and talked to that guy for like, two hours, right? But he was just, like, leaning in. Sometimes it's not that obvious. Sometimes you just notice. It doesn't even, it's not even that the person is like, oh, would you talk to me about God? Sometimes it's just, like, you just notice that they're drawn to you. You're at that sporting, like, you know, sports with your kids. And you notice there's a parent that's excited to see you. Or asks you questions about your life. Or just this connection forms. It's just friendship. That's a person of peace. It's an open door. And a person of peace is often an open door into a whole new group of people. Which is the case for Lydia. Paul immediately, you see in this passage, gets to know her household. And then he's going to get to know all of her friends. She's a business woman, right? And so these relationships are going to multiply. But it started with this initial person. Next, notice spiritual seed. I've got to say on I've been talking about this stuff a long time. I love this stuff. Notice Notice spiritual seeking. She was a worshiper of God. She wasn't. So just to be clear, that doesn't mean she was a follower of Jesus. She clearly becomes a follower of Jesus because Paul tells her. Again, people don't know, guys, about Jesus unless someone tells them, right? Um, So Paul had to tell her about Jesus. But she was a worshiper of God. And, and I find this really interesting because I know some Christians, like Luke reports this as positive. I know some Christians who would immediately become adversarial in this situation. It'd be like, oh, you're a worshiper of God, but you worship the wrong God. And you will believe the wrong thing. And let me tell you what I believe, and you know all this stuff. But it's like the tone of this passage is different. It's like she didn't know all the truth. And there were certainly things she believed that were wrong. But yet, she was a worshiper of God. There was something stirring in her that was bringing her to God. And I just encourage us to notice spiritual seeking in people. Um, how do you notice spiritual seeking? A lot of times I notice it in people suffering. People are really hurting. They open up their life story to you. They're looking for hope. They, and you might just notice these little things. Like, I'll notice people who really don't go to church or anything like that. They'll tell you about a child that died or a friend who has cancer or a painful marriage, or they'll open up about this in the context of friendship. And then they'll say something like, you know, like this one night I was just praying. And it's interesting, because I may not even know what they believe yet, right? But they are praying. I believe that like God is so responsive to that. Um, maybe a more radical example. I've had the opportunity to interact with a lot of people who are involved in your call, you know, who are engaging in witchcraft or other things. And listen, that stuff is really dangerous. You should know that. I've, I've also been in rooms where we've cast out lots of demons for people's lives because they engage in that kind of stuff. That stuff is real and it's dangerous. And we need to keep our distance from engaging. it. So even stuff that seems playful, the enemy will get a hook in people's lives. Um, and yet, when I see that someone is even doing stuff like witchcraft or something, not all those folks are like, of us. Sometimes they're just seeking. Sometimes they're just looking for power. Sometimes they're just like looking for God. I've gotten into really good conversations with people like that. Sometimes the only language that people have to describe their experience with God because they didn't grow up in the church is what they've heard from Hollywood. So like I remember one time I was talking to this guy and he's like I've been thinking about like karma a lot, you know, which is officially a like Hindu concept and all that. The wrong thing to do in that conversation is it's to be like, no, well, I don't believe in Hinduism. I believe in Jesus. And just, like start, you know, He's trying to describe something to me. And all he has is the language of Hollywood you know, to describe it. And I'll tell you what, like, that friend, the more I started to tell him about Jesus, it was, it was, no joke, one night, this guy, he's sitting in my living room, and I start telling him about Jesus because my friendship had progressed to that point. And as I'm telling the story of Jesus' life, which all he had ever seen We're like pictures of Jesus on a cross. We didn't know what any of this was about. And I tell him about Jesus, and he starts going, no joke. He starts going, that's him, that's him, that's him, that's him. The the God who he had been feeling come after him was this man Jesus, right? And he was able to, like, put it together, right, in his mind. Like, God had already been at work. So we notice people who are spiritually seeking, even in unlikely places. Next, go where the grace is. We love to say this tab. Go where the grace is. The Lord, opened your heart to respond to God's message. Can I just like give you some good news? None of this that I'm talking about today is up to you or me. <laughs> like, I'm so glad for that. You hear what I mean? I got trained in sharing the gospel in high pressure, high guilt environments. It was like, man, we gotta get some people saved today. You know what I mean? Like, and it was like we could never do enough. We could never say enough. Even I remember being in environments where I literally led someone to the Lord, and I'd walk away thinking, "Oh my gosh, there's still 50 people there who're going to hell." You know what I mean? Like, I feel like all this, you know, <clears throat> guilt and stress and all that. <clears throat> when we do this stuff out of guilt and stress, it really, just to say it like it really makes us jerks to unbelieving friends, because we're not, we come across like salesmen. Um, we're pushing people, you know, in directions. We, we, we overlook love to get a result, right? And that's not how God is at work. All of this, Lydia was already a follower, a, a worshiper of God. Paul had nothing to do with that, right? And then, it's God who opens her heart so that when Paul starts talking about Jesus, She's responsive. It's God who does all this. We can never take credit, right, for anybody's salvation. That ought to keep us humble, but man, it also ought to take the pressure off too, right? That we can just let God do his work. That all we're doing is joining in with what God is doing in the world. Amen? Say amen again so I can take a drink of water. Good. Okay. Last thing. Receive hospitality from these persons in peace. She invited us to her home. Friends, I don't, in the instructions of Jesus for how to do mission, you really won't find instructions about inviting people to church. That's, that's not how Jesus trained people to do it. I love it when unbelievers come to church. And I love it when they get saved. And I love it when they get baptized. And I love all those things. But we've turned mission into just inviting people to church. Jesus never said to them, "Go out and invite people to the synagogue, you know, or something like that." Um, and, and then let the pastor or the rabbi tell them about God, so that like as the experts would think, and that's just not like how how like Jesus imagined it. Jesus said, "Go, and when someone invites you to their house." then take, up, take them up on that invitation. It's a complete reversal of like what we've made mission to be. And so here's Lydia. She invites Paul and his companions into their, their home. That's one of the main ways. If you're asking a question like, how do I know who a person of peace is in my life? Ask, what of your unbelieving friends is showing you hospitality? Mm-hmm. Which ones are inviting you to their birthday parties? are inviting you to their life events, to their kids' graduation party, to, your parties are a big thing. Jesus went to parties a lot because he was invited to them, sometimes by unbelievers, right? It's a big deal. So let yourself get invited, or sometimes it's not even that deep. Sometimes it's just like, like who who baked cookies for you and gave them to you? Like I just noticed these little things with unbelievers where I am receiving favor from their life. One time, I walked into a public housing community. I know this is an extreme example. You have to, you can apply it to your life however you want to. Um, but I walked into a public housing community where we're planning a church nearby on the other side of Pittsburgh, and I, I went into it attentive, just saying, "God, we just want to notice what you're doing here." I had a few people with me. We want to notice what you're doing in this neighborhood. We think, you know, a church is going to get planted next to here. We just want to see what you're doing, and. Uh, And I was like, God, lead us to a person of peace. One of my friends goes around the corner and comes back with a bottle of water. And I said, where'd you get that bottle of water? And he said, it was hot. He said, said, oh, a woman gave it to me over there. (laughs) I was like, (coughs) bingo, person of peace, it's hospitality, right? I'm going to follow the hospitality, right, in relations. Let me finish that story for you because now I'm remembering it. We went, around, we went around the corner, they were having a party, and uh, I forget what it was, but they were grilling out, it was great, um, and there was a woman there whose knee was all swollen, her other, I have a lot of faith for knees, uh, because I've seen, and God will do this with you with heal. this isn't a training on healing, but God will do this with you on, in healing. He'll give you faith, your faith will grow actually for certain conditions. And where you don't have faith because you've never seen that that healed that thing healed, then press in in prayer or get around people who are moving in that until you have faith, right? For it, God doesn't need our faith to heal, um, He does cooperate, you know, with it. So I, I want more and more faith um, for certain. But I don't have a lot of faith for knees because we've seen healing knees can heal in the street. So her her uh, one knee was swollen than the other. I've seen this exact healing happen before. So I was just full of faith. And a few of us prayed. She got healed there, right? And then I'm leaving that neighborhood thinking, okay, there's grace in this neighborhood. Jesus is already at work here. There's people who want to welcome us with water bottles. It's nothing, it's nothing, it's very simple. It's like God is opening up the door. I left that day with a yes in my heart. Like, yes, we're gonna plant a church nearby here. There's grace, right? Like in, in this neighborhood, um, and so notice who is giving that to you. Okay, I got, I got to wrap up here because I've taken all my time. Let me just make this really simple for you. Um, can I just share like a few stories about all this stuff, noticing persons of peace, receiving hospitality and staying prayerful. Um, there's a couple who's planting a church right now in our network and, and with the Christian Missionary Alliance. And I visited them on Friday. It's just blowing me away what God is doing there. Um, but they shared with me three stories that I just want to pass on to you. Number one, I don't even remember how they met this dude, but they met this guy from Ecuador. And and maybe like how we would think you plan a church is start a service, right? And then meet people and invite them to the service. I know a lot of church planters who think that's what church planning is, right? Um. My friend thinks differently. He's like, what do Ecuadorians do in Pittsburgh? They play soccer. Mm -hmm. So my friend is starting to hang out like in all of their soccer environments and it turns out that they don't have like a a regular field that, that they could like, you know, play on. And so now my friend is trying to get them. We just got, we just figured out the insurance this week so that we can provide a soccer field for these Ecuadorians. It's, do you see how that's completely reverse than just like inviting people to church? We're asking of believers how we can serve you, right? And, and providing a soccer field is support that. But it started with one guy. This whole thing, all these Ecuadorians, we're holding a church planner training in that part of the city next week, and these Ecuadorians are making dinner for us. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> right? Like, I'll, I'll do church planning, more. (laughs) But again, we're receiving their hospitality. Right? Like, receiving their food. I don't even know where they are with Jesus. It doesn't matter, really. Right? Like, God is opening up this door. It matters a lot. You know what I mean? But but it's like, today, the point is, right, that this door of relationship is going. around. Around the same time, my friend met his neighbor who lived in the back alley. Sometimes persons of peace are just who lives right around us, this guy is from Ghana. Right? Most Ghanians are Muslim. He meets this guy. And what do Ghanians do in Pittsburgh? They play soccer too. So now, we're doing this, we're planning this Ghanaian Ecuadorian thing. And, and one day I'm at my friend's house and his Ghanaian friend drops off a huge plate. Guys, if you do like evangelism and mission, right you will eat so much good food. <laughs> <I'm trying. laughs> and, so, and so God will feed you. <coughs> and so this huge plate of food got dropped off and I said to my church, my friend, it's like person of peace. They're dropping food off at your house. You know what I mean? Like, And Muslims dropping food off at your house. Like the guy's opening the store of relationship. I was there on Friday and my friend said to me, he said, hey, you know, uh, Muslims around the world just broke the fast of Ramadan. You know, Ramadan just ended. He said, you know, their yard wasn't big enough for their big, like, family Ramadan picnic. So they asked if they could use our yard. He said, so, a few weeks ago, I didn't know anybody from Ghana. Now, their big end of Ramadan picnic was on our property. And, like, we got to, like, hang out with them and talk with them. Because this is what mission looks like. Like many times, it looks like just partying, right? last story he shared with me, I shared this at the last campus last week, um, he shared with me recently. They decided to host a party, he and his wife, in their neighborhood. And they decided they would do St. Patrick's Day and make all of this food. I don't know if I shared this down here. I think I shared it with other one, but I just love this. They met someone in their neighborhood who, and this is how people, persons of peace work, one of the first things out of his mouth to them, because it was like, They've just moved into the neighborhood. Hey, we're planning a church here. And this guy said to him, don't you ever invite me to your church? I'm not interested at all. Turns out he's gay. He has really hard feelings against the church, wants nothing to do with the church. Um, But my friends saw through that and saw that it didn't mean that this person wasn't a person of peace. Because even though this person didn't want to come to church, see, we miss so many people of peace because we make it all about church. But this guy didn't want to come to church, but he did want to hang out. And so they started like hanging out. Guess who made all the desserts for the St. Patrick's party? Yes, I'm telling you, follow Jesus, you'll eat so much good food. This guy, I got the leftovers. I'm like the church planning director now. I eat all the leftover food at all these places. But I, these amazing cupcakes that this guy made, he made the desserts for my friend's outreach but he doesn't want to come to church. You know what I'm saying? But this is like how God begins to work, right? In all these places. John, if you could come play, and I'm going to close this because I've preached way too long. This stuff excites me, so I could talk about it a long time. Um, um, I, I'm going to close with this. Last week, and this is kind of a tragic story, but God put it on my heart last week. I think I've told you all that sometimes, sometimes, when i when there's a young guy in the community who really wants to tell me how he's feeling um they'll send me like a rap song it's either like a song by a famous artist or one that they wrote and maybe maybe it's professionally maybe like they produced it um or maybe they just like save some of it into you know, the phone and send it to me last sunday morning i got one of those um, before I preached, we're in this series on our believers, and a, a good friend of mine said, hey, I was in my feelings last night. This is a song that I wrote. Um, um, I'm sharing it with you. I know you won't judge because there was like some hard stuff in it, right? Well, in that song, he's mainly grieving the number of unsolved murders in the community. And friends, if you want to pray, Franklin Avenue Campus, if you want to pray Something very tangible for the community that we worship in. Well, this is one of them. Uh, so much, so much pain and hurt from the last few years, and there's no closure. Um, so much unsolved stuff. Well, in his song, he mentions by name one of the guys who was shot and killed. And when I heard the name, I was like, oh, I knew that guy. But barely. I hadn't thought about him for a long time. And let me tell you why I knew him barely. Let me tell you my story with this guy. Um, this guy in the months before he got shot and killed, he showed up at the gospel tab like two or three times. That's the only time I ever saw him. Two or three times he came to the tab, two, maybe a couple of those times, he caught me again in the service and wanted to talk to me. And I, I didn't really know, I think maybe he knew like Alec of Impact's work in the community. He knew, he knew of us. He was a spiritual seeker, right? And he did show up, right? Um, And I I have his number in my phone still, actually, because he gave me his number at one of those services. Well, not long after that, Steve Rossi and I are visiting a family at a a hospital um, who had a kid who was really sick in our church at the time. And we're there to pray, and we're walking out of the hospital. And who walks into the hospital but this guy? Guys, this is what will start to happen. You begin to stay like, attentive to prayer, God will bring the right people, like, at the right time. He walks in because his kid is in the hospital. Turns out he needs a ride home. We bring him home, and in the car here on Franklin Avenue, he receives Christ. Mm-hmm. He comes to faith in Christ. Stephen and I share the gospel with him. He comes to faith in Christ. And friends, I'm not exaggerating. Just a couple months later, he was shot and killed. Um, now, there's so many, like, questions I could ask about that. Really. Doesn't that stuff like drive you crazy? Like, God, why would you? Like, why did you need to be, like life? All those questions, like, rise up in me. But last week, who was preaching here last week? John. Hey, John. Last week, you, you heard a sermon on how our God leaves the 99 to go to the one. And here's the blessing for you. Here's the gospel for you. You get on a mission with Jesus, it's not this guilt-filled thing. You start paying attention to persons of peace, it's not about your performance for God. You can't do anything anyway. But here's what will happen. A holy awe will rise up in you about how much God loves people. Guys, I don't know why He didn't just intervene and like stop the murder, but what I do know is God snatched that guy for himself. God took that guy for himself. So many people that I've been involved in leading with Christ, listen, if you look at, like, the harvest that I've been a part of, a lot of those folks may have made kind of bad church members. But I just have no doubt that they're going to be with us in glory. Like, forever. I just have no doubt. And God just keeps, like, speaking to that. Community. He snatches for himself people that nobody else wants. And I, I, I honestly, I have, like, nothing to do with that story. Like, He's a person of peace. He's leaning in. God opens up his heart. and comes to faith in Christ and his life is saved for eternity. God wants to involve you in those kinds of stories. And the more you're involved in those kinds of stories, you'll realize, oh, this is what God is like. He's always seeking. He's always saving. He's always reaching out. He's always snatching for himself. A tragedy in not being on mission with Jesus, a tragedy in churches that aren't on mission with Jesus, is that they they lose sight of the awesome love of God in their communities. Churches that are on mission with Jesus, in my experience, they worship with fervency. Not just because that's like their style or something, it's not really about that. It's because they've really come to believe that God is who He says He is. That He is reaching people, that He is saving them. And we can't help but shout We can't help but lift our hands. We can't help but dance. Because we know this God is real. We've seen him do this over and over and over again. And every time we're involved with a person of peace, a Lydia, every time, the gospel gets preached to our hearts again. In a new and fresh way, the gospel gets preached to us again. In a new and fresh way.